Bible, grab one and turn to Genesis chapter 15. Guess my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and excited to continue uh, our series here uh, in Genesis. If you are a guest, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say, uh, not what I have to say. So our series we've titled through Genesis, God's Story of Creation to Restoration. Uh, every time we hear God's word, we're called to submit to it. Uh, and this morning, uh, we will hear about how we, as God's people, are able to do that. If you're not a follower of Christ, uh, this is a safe place for you to ask questions and to see who we are and to see uh, who Jesus is and to see what the church is all about. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hard-covered black Bibles in front of you and turn to page 11 and follow along with us. This morning is a turning point uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, We've uh, made that obvious to you, even in some of the visual things that we have, that this is a transition uh, in the book. Is now uh, God will focus his relationship with Abraham. Now, we've gone through 14 chapters in the last few weeks, the last three chapters. We've learned about Abram, who will be called Abraham. And the first Uh, chapters of the Bible, though, we see God as creator. He created everything and made it good. But we know in chapter 3 that the good uh, image bearers that he made, they rebelled against him and sinned. And in chapters 4 and and following, chapters 6 and 7 and 8, we see how devastating the results and effects of sin are. And so God had to destroy the world, but he made a covenant uh, with Noah in which he said, I will never do that again. Well, we saw, though, even though Noah was seen as righteous, he found favor with God. We saw in chapter 9 that he was still sinful and that sin was still around. And then we see the culmination of that sin in Genesis chapter 11 when the Tower of Babel is built. And God says, I'm still going to keep my promises all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I am going to bring a seed, a son, who will crush the head of the serpent. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12. And we're introduced to Abram. And God tells him, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fulfill the promise to Eve in Genesis 3. And I'm going to do that through you. Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you land, and I will give you a son. But remember, Sarah is barren. She cannot have children. And God says, will you trust me? And Abraham worships God. He builds an altar and worships. But what does he do right after that moment? He falls into fear, into sin. Last week we saw Abraham, he responds in faith. And now this week is coming on the heels of those events. Here's what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. God reassures Abram of his promise through his word, and Abram believes. God then seals his promise with a covenant. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, we talk about making mature disciples. This chapter is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible, if you can say that. It it informs how the Bible is constructed. It informs how God works. It forms how God deals with us. 
If you are a disciple today, you've been brought into the new covenant. And you are a spiritual child of Abraham. So Genesis 15 tells us this. The people of God are justified by faith so they may receive the covenant blessings of God. Do we believe in God's word and his work? All of this is about what God is doing. This is not up to Abraham. All of this is out of what God has done. God's covenant will prove that he will provide for his people and keep his promises. This covenant is a continuation of the promise that he made to Adam and Eve. As I told you, this is an extremely important chapter in the Bible. The Bible is built around it. Now, I would like to think if you cut me, I would bleed Carolina blue. That's what I think when I would think about cutting. And Miss Connie would be, a, she, couldn't, she couldn't take care of me if, if I were to, to be cut and bleed Carolina blue. She couldn't touch me at that point. But if you were to cut the Bible, if we were to open this up and cut it into sections, what you would see is it would bleed covenant. It would bleed covenant. What I mean by that, it would, would bleed what God does and what God says will be followed through on. The covenants really are the backbone. Pastor Ryan said this a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12. The covenants are the backbone of the scriptures and they're the backbone of the Christian life. Our faith is not in ourselves, it's in God. The God who keeps his covenants. So the question we come to this morning is, can Abram trust God? And can God, Yahweh, be trusted? That's the question before us. Israel is potentially at Mount Sinai or right after Mount Sinai. They, they experience God through the Exodus. And are they going to trust him? And in the same way, we have been brought out of sin, the slavery of sin in Christ. Will we continually trust God? Will we trust? And can we trust God? Have you ever been asking the Lord on what the next steps are? For you, maybe it's about a job, maybe it's about your family, maybe it's about school, maybe it's about how to deal with hard situations. Have you ever been praying to the Lord and asking for the next steps and you keep waiting and waiting and waiting? What are we to do? Why won't God give a response? This is where we find Abram today. We find Abram waiting. So, so I want to ask the question of our passage. What is the relationship of faith and covenant? What is the relationship of faith and covenant? For those of us who are waiting on God to, to confirm, to solidify that direction, that decision. What, can we trust him? Yes, we can by looking at the relationship of faith and covenant. So the first aspect of faith and covenant is this. Faith is responding to God. Faith is responding to God. Look there at verse 1. After these events, now this is a new narrative. We've gone, we're, we're moving past chapters 13 and 14 where Abram has won a great battle over four kings. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now this is the first time, if you'll notice, the first time the word of the Lord has come to anyone. Not the first time he's spoken to somebody, but a word of the Lord. Abram is a prophet. And this is God's revelation 
to him. So what does God say? Do not be afraid, Abram. I will be your shield. Your reward will be very great. It is here where we will see faith and how faith is constructed and what it's made of. Abram will demonstrate. He will be the standard of faith moving forward throughout the Bible. God says, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am going to do what I said I would do. So the first aspect is faith responding to God. We respond in dependence. We respond in dependence. When God reveals himself to Abram by his word, his first words are, don't be afraid. Both in the sense of, do not fear me, which would be scary if we came face to face with God Almighty. Don't be afraid of me in the moment, but also don't be afraid of your future in the coming moments. Abram cannot secure his own future. He cannot save himself. He cannot make himself holy. Remember, he's childless. And God knows this. Before before Abram even comes to him and says, where is my son? God goes to Abram and says, remember, I've promised you. I'm going to take care of you. So what must Abram do? He must be dependent on God. The fulfillment of God's promises is not dependent on Abram's strength. right? It doesn't matter how many kings he has defeated. That strength cannot save him and make him righteous before God. It is only when Abram is dependent on God through faith. God is his shield. God will be his protector. God will be the guarantor of the promises. You see, when you take out a loan, you get a mortgage, you have to have a guarantor. Someone has to say, if you don't pay this, who's going to pay that? We have to go to the bank. God is the one who is the guarantor of our faith and your reward. That is what I have promised you. Land, children, blessing, and a great name. They will happen. You see, faith by itself or by its very nature is outside of ourselves. You've probably heard this phrase, oh, you just have to have a little more faith. You just have to have a little more faith. I'm guaranteeing you, most of you in the room have heard that phrase. But it's a complete lie. Because here's the thing, your faith, your, your, your strength of faith means nothing. It can do nothing for you. What matters is who your faith is in. And when you say to someone or when you receive the advice, just have a little more faith, what you're saying is strengthen up. No. Have faith in the God of the universe who has promised to provide for you. It is the object of our faith that makes our faith different than any other belief in the world. Because it is our faith in God, in Christ Jesus, that makes us righteous. You can have faith in something stronger than yourself. So we must be dependent on God. Uh, But secondly, responding is responding with desire. Look there at verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. We could look at this exchange and wonder, why is Abram doubted? Why is he questioning God? But this isn't what Abram's actually doing. He's not doubting God. This is about true and genuine desire. 
He wants to know how God is going to keep his promises. Think about it this way. He, he asks, God, look, you, you said you would do this. You said this would happen, but I don't see how this is going to happen. He's asking God to show him. Abram is seeking the Lord's assurance that his desires will remain faithful to God's promises. You, you may say, well, I'm struggling with that. Well, let me read to you Romans 4, verses 19 and 20, through 21. Paul says this about this exchange. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to already be dead since he was about 100 years old. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave the glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. So the Apostle Paul looks at Abram as the archetype of faith and faith in God. He says he didn't waver, but he was seeking a faith to understand. You see, church, we don't have to check our hearts or our intellect at the door when we come in here to worship. God can handle our questions, our confusion, our struggle. If he couldn't, he wouldn't be God. So it's not wrong for you to ask God in a desiring way, God, help me. Help me understand. Of course, there are times in which we may never understand, and we are the, the man in the Gospels who says, he cries out to Jesus, help my unbelief exactly what Abram's doing. Help me believe rightly. Help my desire to know and trust you more. This is what God asks of us. There are difficult situations that all of many of you have walked through. Many of you may be walking through. You have friends and loved ones who are walking through extremely difficult situations. God can handle the pain. He can handle the questions. Go look at the Psalms. Go look at how David asked so many questions of who God is. God, God, why has this happened? And in those questions, as, as David begins to respond and think about who God is, where does David often leave? He often ends with praising God. Because God meets us in our true desire to know him and to trust him. Now, how do I know that this faith is built on desire, even just from the story? Look at how God responds to Abram. He responds to him gently and clearly. Look at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one, that, that slave, will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. God says it in the most forceful way in the language. Like our language, it doesn't do it justice. One from your own body. You will have a son. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Now, look, I'm from Burke County, and I probably couldn't count all those stars. But he says, look at those things. That's how numerous your children are going to be. And he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram's desire is to have a faith strengthened in God's kindness and mercy and faithfulness. And God does this by giving him a real-life example. Look at these stars. You can't even count all of them. That's how numerous your children are going to be. So faith is, yes, it's a dependence on God. It's a desire to trust God more, but it also comes with a decision. It also comes with a decision. God has spoken to Abram. He has reaffirmed his promise to provide a son. 
and the other promises, by the way. But, but how will Abram respond to what God has said? Look at verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. If, the, if God is creator of the countless stars of the entire universe, then he is powerful enough to provide Abram a son, an heir. Now, now notice this. What God has done in the past, God says, look at creation. Look at how powerful I am. If what God has done in the past, then we can trust him for the present and for the future. For us, what God has done for Abraham is the basis for us to trust him now. We know that Abraham receives a son. We know that they become a great nation. We can trust God because God has been faithful to Abraham and to Israel and been faithful to send his son Jesus Christ. When we look in the past, we can trust God even now in the present and for the future. Now look back at verse 6. It seems most likely that Moses steps out of the narrative to provide one little short sentence. He explains to us as the reader, Abram does in fact trust God. He believes God. But our, the way the story is set up and the way that our uh, translation works, it doesn't quite give us a clear picture. It may read like, now God showed him the stars and then he believed, but that's not what happens. Really, he's taking a moment. Let me, let, let, me, let me time out and tell you, in the midst of all this, Abraham had faith. Abraham believed. He did not come to faith here in this moment. How do I know that? Well, Hebrews eleven eighteen tells us that Abram left the land of Ur by faith. So in, in this moment, Abram, yes, has faith and yes, trusts God. But that was because he had already trusted God. He's able to trust these promises because he has faith in him. Abram believes that God is dependable and reliable. Abram, yes, was sinful, but declared righteous. How? Because of his faith. He's conformed. He's made righteous. He's conformed to God's standard. A very normal man, but very weak man is now made righteous in the eyes of God. He's declared righteous in God's eyes. Now, let me be very clear. This covenant does not make Abraham righteous. The covenant comes after that. It's faith. Faith in God's promises. And because that, God then is going to do something to help Abraham believe and continue to believe. Verse 6 is perhaps the most important verse in all of Genesis. And maybe the whole Old Testament from the viewpoint of the New Testament. It, it sets forth a relationship between Abram's faith that he believed the Lord and God's action that God credited to him as righteousness. So the passage clearly states that faith was the instrument with which God's credit of righteousness was received. We do not gain righteousness by works. We gain righteousness through faith. And Paul is clear about this in Romans. He's clear about this in Ephesians. Right, we receive God's grace and faith to be made righteous. It is not human effort, but it's received by faith. Now, the, oftentimes we look at the New Testament and we look at uh, what Paul has wrote and what James has wrote. And we're like, are they competing against one another? Are they telling us something different? Paul, he teaches us on focusing 
uh, particularly on how we become righteous, how we're viewed righteous before God. It is purely through faith and one's reception of God's declaration of righteousness. But now James, in contrast, is speaking of how that righteousness is demonstrated to those around us. Right, so Paul says, you're only saved by faith. James says, if you're saved by faith, then you will live that way. They're just arguing the same side or two different sides of the same coin. It can only be seen by other people through our outward actions, motivated by true faith. Now, the covenant that comes, this ceremony that's going to come in just a minute, reinforces the, the permanence of God's promise and added to Abram's faith that this will help you continue. So it would take faith to wait on the promises. You're going to get a son. You've got some land. But it's going to, you're going to have to wait on this son. It's not coming immediately. But faith was what God was looking for. And faith was what made Abram acceptable to God. It is now through this faith that God will enter a covenant relationship with Abram. So that he could receive the blessing. So yes, faith is responding to God. But faith is also the second aspect Faith is ratified by God. The promises that Abram believed will now be ensured by God's establishment of the covenant. God will make good on his promises and will do that by establishing, ratifying the covenant. So, God will establish the covenant conditions. Look there at verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. It is through God's grace that brought Abram out of idolatry from the land of Ur. Right, the basis of the covenant is God. It's not Abram's faith. The covenant is established because of who God is and what he has done. It resembles God's covenant with Israel. Think about how they would be hearing this. As they see, maybe they are, they've just seen God on the mountain in, in the pillar of fire. Maybe they, they've been removed from that. They, they remember Moses goes to meet with God on the mountain. And what does God say? I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the Lord God who has done this for you. Everything else follows out of that salvation. Right, salvation for Abraham, for Israel, for us as the church, our salvation precedes what God is asking us to do. Salvation precedes the relationship and obedience. It's important for you to understand. God says, I am this God who brought you out of idolatry even though you were sinful. And to, and to make sure that you understand what I am going to go through to keep this promise. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Verse 8, but he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? Again, Abram seeks a visible confirmation of the promise, and God's going to oblige that request. Verse 9, he said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. God's going to ask Abram to prepare a sacrifice for a ceremony that would confirm his promises and they would enter into a covenant together. So look what Abram does. He brought all these to him and cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other. I just want you to imagine 
how terribly gruesome that is. I don't like sticking my hands in hamburger meat because it's runny and juicy and bloody. And what Abraham does is he cuts these animals and he lays them on the side. And you could think about the blood that's being spread all across this ground, all across this pathway. He, he cuts these animals and he lays them out. But he didn't cut the birds in half, probably because they were too small. Verse 11, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Now, just, just a quick aside, right? This isn't easy. Making a sacrifice isn't easy. And Abram has to protect this sacrifice from these vultures. And as the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram. And suddenly a great terror and darkness descended upon him. The terror of God's presence and weight of his sin began to overwhelm him. But God causes him to fall asleep. Do you remember that last time God caused somebody to fall asleep? It was Adam. And so God says, all right, you've done what I've asked you to do. Now, Abram, he falls asleep. And look what God says in verse 13. Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in the land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. Wait a second. Where is that coming from? This ceremony is supposed to tell me how I'm going to receive the promises. Why in the world are you telling me about hardship and oppression and suffering? First, God is confirming his plan to Abram. Right? Moses doesn't write this for Abram's sake. He writes this for Israel's sake. Right? Abram's going to be dead and gone. But it's for Israel. It's for us. God was in full control of the situation. God knew exactly what was going to happen to his people. The prophecy to Abram was so Israel could look back and see the prophecy and see that it came true. And that God was fully in control. But I also don't want you to miss this. God's plan includes suffering for his people. Even though we're Christians in the New Testament, doesn't mean we get to, get to leave that behind. We live in a broken world and we live in a world that hates God. And so therefore, we will, may experience suffering. And Moses used, he uses the same word here in Genesis 13 as he does in Exodus chapter 1 verse 11. This oppression, this is the same thing he's saying. These, your people, your children will suffer in Egypt. Now I came across a quote this week from Mark Wahlberg, great actor. But he said this, I attribute everything good and everything positive in my life to my faith. As soon as I started putting my faith and focus on God, good things started happening to me. What's the problem with that statement? It makes God, it makes faith like a genie. That, yeah, everything, everything's good. I have faith in God. Church, often we think that God's plan must exclude any and all difficulty, suffering, or hardship. Because if God has called us to do something, then it should be easy. Not true. God says your children will suffer at the hands of a wicked king. But this is my plan. We don't find strength in our own faith. We find strength in the God who's in control of all things. When we don't have answers to questions and when we walk through suffering, we do that together. But what, what comes out of this plan for suffering? 
a great people. They go into Egypt, very small, just a family of 12 uh, men with their wives and children. And then when they leave, they're a, they're a great nation who walks out of Egypt. God will give Abraham what he promised, even through, mo- even through some of the most earthly and difficult circumstances. But that will not keep him from keeping his promises. Right? Right. God will give Abraham, the, he's given him the plan, he's given him his people, but what about the place? What about the land? You might ask, why does all this have to happen? Why, why, why does God's people have to go to Egypt, be enslaved? Well, verse 14 tells us. However, I will judge the, the nation they serve. He's talking about Egypt. And afterward, they will go out with many possessions, which that we know they do. Verse 15, but you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here. That's the land of Canaan. For the iniquity of the Amorites has yet reached its full measure. Abraham, your people will possess this land, but not before absolute justice is required. 400 years. God has much to do before all these things work together for the promise, including dealing with the Amorites. Notice what God's saying. Yes, this is going to be your land, but you're going to get this land because I'm going to deal with these Amorites. But that will not happen until their sin is complete. And we don't know why. We don't know why God, maybe because he's gracious and kind, he was hoping they may repent. And so they wait. But God is in complete control. You are exactly where God wants you. Trusting him, waiting on him, is exactly where God wants us to be. Because we're called to be dependent upon him. God will. He will make sure the covenant happens. So much so, we're going to look here at verse 17. God ensures the covenant continues. It's time for that covenant to be made here in the story, for the agreement to be struck. But something interesting happens. Right? Normally covenants are, are done by two people. We, we think about that as a handshake. Right? We, we, we've come to an agreement. I can't come to an agreement with somebody who hasn't shook my hand, so to speak. But look at verse 17. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, this word made means to establish. It means it's an idiom. It means to cut. Right, so the Old Testament says that covenants are cut. They are made. And this symbolizes something. Right, right, this ceremony that God has Abram do, he, he cuts the animals and he, he places them and the blood is scattered all over the place. And so the reason that covenants are cut is because when they were supposed to, God and Abram were supposed to walk through this together. And that if either one of them turned back on their covenant, that they would experience the same fate as these animals. That's how serious this covenant was. That's why this covenant is cut. But Abram doesn't walk through. He's asleep. God takes on all the conditions on himself. Meaning he would die if the covenant is not fulfilled. And church, notice that our God is the creator God over all things. He cannot be divided. Therefore, his promises will never fail. 
If Abram walked through that, Abram would have died. If he had walked through that trail, he would have died the very next chapter. But God, in his graciousness and kindness, he says, you know what? I'm going to walk through. I'm going to walk. And he does so with a flaming uh, torch and a fire pot, representing his holiness. God walks through this. He is able to keep his promises, and he will keep them. Look at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will give this land to your offspring. I will make sure it happens. From the brook of, of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kezarzites, Camerites, Hethites, Prezites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigerzites, and the Jebusites. God will do what he says he's going to do. And see, here's the thing, church. You get to experience the covenant blessings of God because of Abraham's faith, but also because God will keep his promises. I've already told you that Abram is the paradigm for faith throughout the Bible. Faith is what secures righteousness, but God is the one in whom we have faith. And his covenants provide an outline for the Bible and how we can trust him today. So there's a few major covenants I think are important for us to take a moment. A few major covenants for us to consider. Right When, we, when this building was built, there's a foundation and there's a structure. There's, there's trusses up above this ceiling. If those were inadequate or faulty, then the building couldn't stand. The Bible is built on covenants. It's, it's how God has revealed himself to us. And so we've seen Noah's, right? Noah found favor with God. He destroys the world, but says, I'll never do that again. And so far, God hasn't. We come now to Abram, blessing. Both I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. You will bless the nations. You have a great name. You're going to have a great nation. You're going to have a great land. And so these become the, the kind of the pillars of covenant throughout the rest of the Bible. And as you zoom in, the people of Israel come out of, of Egypt, and it is this promise, this covenant that God is going to do. And then you get to Moses and Mount Sinai, and God, God gives what? He gives the Ten Commandments. He gives the law. Why does he do that? Not, because they, not to save them, not to make them holy, but to show them this is how you live out the covenant in the new land. This is how you receive the covenant blessings of God. If you do not, curses will follow you. And you get to King David. And you have the whole family of Abram and Israel. And now it zooms in on the line of David. And God makes a covenant with him. It is on your throne that the Son will reign forever. Your Son, your seed, one will come who will reign forever. And now that line begins to be zoomed into. And now we're waiting on the Messiah who is, yes, a father of faith, but also a great king. And so then the rest of the Old Testament is, is tracing this promise. But see, here's the problem. Remember, I told you, God gave the Ten Commandments and the law. Here's how you're supposed to live. But Israel does none of that, hardly. There, it's hard to find people who trust him. You, we, that we get many kings after David who were evil and wicked. 
And they do not follow God's commands. And thus God separates them from the land. And he separates them from each other. But there's a promise. There's a hope. Even in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is the only place that calls it the new covenant. The new covenant, one that I will write the law of God on your hearts. It's a foreshadowing. And even I think Moses knows in Deuteronomy, he says the covenant besides the covenant. I think Moses knows that even the covenant God made with Israel, it is the one looking forward to the new covenant. And that new covenant that where God would write his word on our hearts, that comes because of Jesus Christ. That all of this now, we are people of faith, but we're people of faith in Jesus Christ. We trust God's promises who said, I will give a seed. I will give a Messiah. I will give a king. And that king is Jesus. The persistent failures of God's people, we could look back and be like, how how in the world did God do this? How in the world could he have overcome our sinfulness? Well, he does it by sending his own son in the form of a human being to live a perfect life. So that the covenant could be fulfilled and the requirements of the covenant could be fulfilled. And God comes in our place in Jesus. The Bible is clear. Salvation only comes through faith. And our salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Think back to Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes through faith. Well, here's the problem. We can't get righteousness on our own. We're called to trust in Christ. And when we trust in Christ, it's now His righteousness that is credited to our account. And so this covenant that God makes with Abraham is the standard that the whole rest of the Bible is built on. And it is the culmination of Jesus Christ that we now see God has done what He said He would do. We have an advantage. We have the Bible. We have the gospel account. We know that Jesus is now the person who has fulfilled the covenant and its obligations. He has now secured the better covenant with his blood. Who died the death that we deserved and was raised to new life. Why? So that we could be clothed with that righteousness. So church, the question for you today, if you're not a believer, is Will you trust God fully to make you righteous, to make you holy? Will you trust him over all things? And if you are a follower of Christ today, will you trust him that every aspect of your life is in control? That you are exactly where you need to be, walking with him and trusting him. Church, may our family be a family of faith. May this church be a pillar of faith in our community to know and to trust God. When difficulties come, when hardships arise, may we help one another, point one another to be faithful because Jesus is always faithful. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, we are amazed at the lengths that you have gone to to make us righteous because we do not deserve it. But we proclaim, we confess with our hearts that Jesus is Lord. 
because he was righteous in our place. He is the culmination of the promises. He is the Messiah. He is the king who now sits on the throne. We trust him over all things. So God, would you help us trust you more? Trust you in where you want us to go. Trust you in what you have for us. Despite hardships and despite suffering, may we point one another to not our own faith, but the object of our faith. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.